0: The sermon from St. John's Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, based on Daniel chapter 3, the account of the three men in the fiery furnace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear fellow Christians, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. A young lady from China came to the United States to get her degree at a university. And as she was studying there, she became interested in these Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter. She searched out one of the campus ministries and talked to a Wells pastor who told her about Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, who came to this earth as a baby, who died and rose from the dead. And over her time, As she heard that gospel, that good news of forgiveness in Jesus, the Holy Spirit worked faith in her heart. She became convinced that Jesus was her God and Savior. But after a few years, she completed her studies, got her degree. It was time for her to go back to China. Now, what was she going to do? revert back to her family religion? Join the official Christian church there that only can teach what the government says it can teach and so it isn't even all that Christian? Or, Or will she seek out fellow Christians who believe as she does, even though they cannot be officially recognized, they can still meet quietly in their homes? Will she share that good news of Jesus with others as the opportunity subtly uh, 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 comes that course of action could put at risk the career she's planned and studied so hard for it could alienate her from her family and friends yes it could even land her in prison what would you do but Jesus says here blessed are those who are persecuted Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or what about a young man of 18 years old, growing up in the heartland of America? He now heads off to the university. He has always celebrated Christmas and Easter. From little on up, he's learned about Jesus from dad and mom, And week after week in Sunday school, after confirmation, he was active in youth group. Everyone was so encouraging. But there at that university, his faith goes through some struggles. The sexual morals of the co-ed dorm are worse than he ever saw on TV, and yet so tempting as also is the easy access to beer and liquor. One of the most popular professors regularly ridicules those who still follow the Christian myths. We don't believe in Zeus and Hercules anymore. Why believe in Jesus? The arguments against Christianity sound so reasonable, many of his fellow students follow them. Has he just been following baby stories in Sunday school? Is church just a way for his parents to maintain control over him? Is he ready to leave behind his childish rays and grip the reality of science, technology, evolution and humanism that seem to offer such great promises for humanity? What is he going to do? Will he leave behind Jesus? Or hide his faith? Or lead a double life, pretending to be Christian at home but quite different there at school? Or, or will he run to Jesus in his word and find Christians that share his faith so that they can support each other from God's word? Will he let his light shine out despite the insults, ridicule, and maybe even the bad grades that may bring? What would you do? Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Yes, we easily recognize how beautiful the words of Jesus are in what we have come to call the Beatitudes, those opening verses from the Sermon on the Mount. We recognize their beauty, but do we live them? Do we practice them? Or do we compromise our Christian faith in ways that we don't even realize in life? Are we more tempted to fit in with others rather than confess Jesus? And maybe as you reflect on the, the two stories I opened up with here, you can say, Yes, I understand those situations, but we're not in that kind of situation. We we live in a Christian community. We have freedom of religion. And I don't mean in any way to downplay those wonderful blessings God has given to us through our country. But do we really live in that good of a society? Or have we become so used to conforming to the ways of this world that we don't even realize how often we compromise our faith to avoid ridicule or insult or hurt feelings? Are we tempted to just fit in and like to picture the world as being mostly Christian anyway and so we don't have to be all that different it's something for us to think about here as I examine my own heart and life it's a struggle that I go through because it's so easy to be blinded to our own weaknesses isn't it but dear friends examine your heart and life this is hard work for we don't like being told that our way of doing things may not be right. We don't like our our life disturbed. We don't want to have to make the changes that will let our light shine out more clearly and mean that we're not fitting in quite so well as we used to. But dear friends, consider the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They served Only the God who can save. They served him despite the fearful threats. They served him trusting his powerful or his merciful power. And I know you want to do that too, dear Christians. You want to serve only the God who can save. Let's learn from the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3. Who were these three men? Their original Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were taken away from their homeland of Judea, along with another man named Daniel. In, In fact, these were young men, probably only teenagers at the time. They were taken away from their homes and brought to Babylon. There they were trained to be counselors and officials for the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why their names were changed. Those names were more familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And during their training there, they excelled. But even then, they did not compromise their faith in the Lord, the God of Israel. For example, they refused to eat the, the meat and wine that were given to them because it had been dedicated to pagan gods and were not prepared in the way the Lord had instructed at Mount Sinai for his people in the Old Testament to eat. They lived their faith. And after their training was completed, they were also promoted to positions of authority because, you see, Daniel had asked for their promotion. Daniel had been given by the Lord an interpretation for the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had that no one else could interpret. And so we have these three men in in high positions, Now, in their position, they are to demonstrate their loyalty by participating in a massive public ceremony. Nebuchadnezzar had set up a gold statue. At the sound of the music, all were to bow down before it. How Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have stood up as everyone else around them fell down and worshipped, and there they were, standing alone, They didn't fit in. Were they afraid? Ancient kings did not make idle threats. They were accused and brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And and really, what strikes me here in this part is that rather than throwing them into the fiery furnace right away, which is what the original order had said would happen, he actually gave them a second chance. But see how tricky the devil's temptations can be here? Now they had time to reconsider and maybe rationalize bowing down. Think of the pressure that they were under as they stood there before the king. If they had hoped that maybe they could go unnoticed, that certainly wasn't going to happen now. Couldn't they just keep on believing in the Lord in their hearts and, and you know, just do this outward act of, of bowing down? They wouldn't really be worshipping the golden statue, would they? They would just be showing their loyalty, demonstrating their patriotism, doing their duty, carrying out their job. And couldn't they do more good for God's people in their position, official positions if they stayed alive? Yes. How tempting. Those reasons could have gone through their minds. Wouldn't it be better just to fit in? But whatever kind of reasoning or temptations they may have thought of, they stood firm. They did not give in. Rather, they confessed the Lord, their God. For you see, no matter how fearful the threat, and the threat of being burned alive is quite fearful, No matter how fearful the threat, though, they feared God above all. Yes, even above King Nebuchadnezzar and his fiery furnace. They placed God first. They served only the God who can save, whether that met fitting in or not. And this, dear friends, this is, I think, that is what can help us examine our own hearts and lives here. How much of what we do comes from a fear of not fitting in? And is that really fearing God above all then? Are we afraid of not fitting in and so we don't pray in public where others might see us or at school? Are we afraid of not fitting in and so we join in with the gossip or have one more to drink even though we've had too much? Are we afraid of not fitting in and so we don't mention Jesus when we're th- when we're with those friends who don't believe? Are we afraid of not fitting in and so we don't come to Bible class because our parents didn't and there aren't too many people that do and we would feel uncomfortable if we did? Are we afraid of not fitting in and so even though... We say worship is important. We don't want it to interfere with our work or our our family because only a religious fanatic would do that. Are we afraid of not fitting in? And so we keep on spending our money first to maintain our status in the community, making that a higher priority than supporting the Lord's work. Are we afraid of not fitting in? And so we settle for being lukewarm Christians. For you see, a lukewarm Christian can fit in much more easily. For you see, a lukewarm Christian bows down to the same idols that this world bows down to, rationalizing that, well, in my heart I still believe in Jesus, and that's really what matters, right? And maybe that's one reason we like to imagine that our community, culture, and country is more Christian than it actually is. Because you see, it's so much easier to fit in with everyone else if we just assume that they're Christian too and then we can join in with whatever they're doing because that must be serving God as well, right? But Jesus warns us against that thinking, doesn't he? Rather than fitting in, we are to expect the opposite. If they persecuted me, They will persecute you also, Jesus said the night before they crucified him. We are to be in this world, but not of this world. Through the Apostle Paul, Jesus tells us do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not going to be able to make the round peg of our Christian faith fit into the square hole of society. Unless you carve away at your faith, you're not going to fit in. So where? Where can we find the strength to stand tall like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did where do we find the strength to serve only the Lord who can save, while everyone else around us bows down to the gods of this age? How do we? How are we transformed instead of conforming? How can we overcome our fears of not fitting in, or our fears of whatever other? kinds of threats of insult, ridicule, or persecution we might face. How? Well, we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there we see them trusting. Trusting the Lord, the only God who saves. Yes, remember who it is who you serve. You serve the only God who can save. So trust his merciful power. And this brings us to what, at least in my opinion, is the greatest miracle we see in the text here. And is not what happened after they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but before that. There you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He has just given them a second chance to save their lives by bowing down. What a miracle that they do not cave in. What a miracle that instead they confess the Savior God. Listen again to what they said then. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, since you and I know how it turns out, maybe those words don't quite sound as remarkable as they are. But remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know what was going to be happening. They did not know how God might save them. All they know is that he could if he so chose. For they knew that he was the one who had rescued Israel from Egypt to the Red Sea. He was the one who had sent the hordes of Midian fleeing at the hands of Gideon. He was the one who had put to death 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and camped around Jerusalem in the days of King Hezekiah. Yes, yes, they certainly knew that God's power could keep three men safe in a fiery furnace. They trusted that his power could save, just as it had done in the past. For they had seen God's mercy using that power again and again to rescue his people. And so even though the power of King Nebuchadnezzar was so plainly in front of them, and even though his threat was so real, they trusted God's unseen power. What faith. But they did not have God's promise that he would use that power to keep them safe from the flames. You know, God could have also used that his power to let the flames burn them to death and then mercifully take them to their heavenly home. They didn't know which way God would do it, and that's why they add here that even if God did not rescue them from the flames, yet they would not serve the idol or bow down to the golden image. They would serve only the Lord, the God who can save, for they trusted His merciful power. And that, dear friends, that is where we also find that strength to stand tall with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For you not only have the example of God's saving power, His merciful power from the Old Testament times where He rescued His people again and again. Think of His merciful power displayed in Jesus and His miracles. Yes, think of how Jesus healed the sick gave sight to the blind, healed the lame, and made made the deaf to hear. Look into the empty Easter tomb. He's risen. Not even death has power greater than he has. Yes, the power of your Jesus, who died for your sins and rose for your victory, is greater than any threat you face, no matter how fearful it may seem. For even if your life is a constant struggle and suffering, even if each day seems as if it is a fiery furnace. Remember what your Jesus has prepared for you with his merciful power. His death has purchased an inheritance for you in heaven, for you who believe, an inheritance for which no rust can destroy and time does not wear out. His blood has washed you clean, washed away your guilt in order to make you ready to stand in the blessed magnificence of your holy God seated on his, uh, as he is seated on his rainbow encircled throne before the glassy sea. And that future glory sealed to you by his resurrection far outweighs any suffering we may go through in this life. Remember what your Savior in His merciful power has prepared for you. For just as He has risen from the dead, so also He will raise you to live and reign with Him eternally. Trust His merciful power. Serve only the God who can save. Yes. Even... When life seems so fearful, and we so desperately want to fit in, even when life is difficult like that, and Jesus' power seems so weak, continue to trust. As those soldiers, the strongest ones in Nebuchadnezzar's army, tightened those bonds around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and manhandled them into the furnace. Just think of how distant, how far away God's power must have seemed. But during that whole time, God's mighty angel was with them. Even Nebuchadnezzar had to admit it when he saw it in the end there. And God's mighty angels are with you, watching over you, guarding and protecting you. Trust in God's merciful power. That's where we find the strength to serve Him and Him alone, no matter how strongly the world tempts us to conform to it. Trust His merciful power that not only keeps you safe in this life, but has prepared a heavenly home for you. Yes, the temptations to fit in, the fearful threats we face can be strong. But Jesus' power is greater. Serve the God who alone can save as you trust His merciful power. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.